0: homes.com we've done your homework
1: hello and welcome to happier a podcast that gives you ideas for building happier habits into your daily life this week we'll talk about why you should identify underused areas of your home and how to deal with the challenge of perfectionism I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft. And Elizabeth, I'm getting so excited because we're starting to plan for my trip to LA for my book tour in September. I'll get to see your new house renovation, your new office on the Paramount lot, and we get to record a very special episode. Yes,
0: I can't wait. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in LA, and also as of a Few months ago, the co host of Happier in Hollywood. Yay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And Elizabeth, you're about to hit a big milestone, right? Aren't you coming up on your episode 10?
0: Yes. I can't believe we've done 10 episodes. 10th one comes out tomorrow. And it's a good one because we talked to your friend and mine, Chris Gillibo.
1: Oh, yeah. Who has
0: the podcast uh, Side Hustle School about why it's important to have a side hustle in Hollywood. Mm, yeah. And then we also tackle um, the very important subject of what to wear in meetings, which is endless conversation on that topic
1: in our office. Yes, we've talked about you and I, Elizabeth, I will often say to you, well, what are you going to wear to the pitch? What are you going to wear to the meeting? So that's great. Yes. Now, before we jump into the try this at home, Elizabeth, we heard from many fans of Ziploc bags. Um, Many people feel as ardently about Ziploc bags as we do. (laughs) Um, But we should begin by saying that a lot of listeners pointed out that there is an environmental cost to using something that's plastic. And so that if you're going to use a Ziploc bag, you know, try to reuse them or maybe find a substitute that's more environmentally friendly. So that's a great point. I also have to say, as an underbuyer, I will, like, wear out a Ziploc bag. Like, I will use it and use it and use it until, like, that thing falls apart. So that's not... Oh, I
0: use them for years. Yes.
1: Yeah. We don't really consider them disposable (laughs) in the same way some people do.
0: Yeah. And then, Gretchen, some of our listeners had other uses for Ziploc bags, like Katie, who suggests traveling with a few empty Ziploc bags for anything that gets dirty or wet, which is a great idea. Like when you have to pack a wet bathing suit, a Ziploc bag is perfect.
1: Or if you have something that you're afraid might explode, uh, like you buy a bottle of perfume or something like that, and you're like, "Mm, I better put this in something that can contain it. And John had a great idea, which was, you know how you have all those random cables and chargers that are just sort of like floating around the house? He puts them in a bag with a note that reads last used with a date. And then Mm. um, if he ever uses the cables, he then puts it back in the bag and updates the card so he sees that he's been using it. But then if there's a bag where he's like, I haven't used anything in this bag for like, you know, several years, then he knows he can toss the stuff without worrying about it, which was a great idea.
0: That is a great idea. And those cables, I never know what's what. So it'd be nice to have it in a bag and labeled. And then maybe I would actually use them because I know what they were for.
1: I actually do this only with instruction booklets. Like if some device comes with a lot of like bits and bobs, I'll put it Mm. into a Ziploc bag. Like it used to when people actually use cameras, there would be all the attachments and instruction books and warranties and all that stuff. I would put it in a bag, and it is really useful because then you know, you know what it goes to, which otherwise can be a huge hassle. Yeah. So this week, our tried This at Home tip is to look for an underused area of your home.
0: I love this, especially as someone undergoing a major renovation.
1: Yes. Well, one of the things that was really has been really striking, because we've talked about clutter and the virtual move and a lot of things. And, you know, when we were talking about reading, one of the listeners said how she turned a room that was underused into a reading room. Mm-hmm. But I've been struck by how many people have unused areas in their homes. Now, of course, this is a huge luxury. And many people live in crowded homes. And this is very far from their experience. But it's striking how many people have a room that just basically, for whatever reason, is not getting incorporated into the daily use of their household.
0: Yes. I think a lot of people have that. We had that, Gretchen, our house on Stratford Road in Kansas City. Yes. We had... That room sort of next to the kitchen in the back.
1: Yeah, what was that? It was just like, it was just a room of nothing.
0: It was a room of nothing. It had nothing in it. We didn't even store stuff in there. It didn't get used until, I don't know if you were around for this, but dad and I bought a pinball machine. Oh, (gasps) gosh.
1: How did I forget about the pinball machine? Oh, my gosh. The Liberty Bell. Yeah. was called. And we
0: put that in that room and then it became the pinball room. And we actually played the pinball machine a lot. But until that point, that room had no use.
1: Yeah, that's right. And dad used it all the time. And that is a great example of can you think about something that you would like to have room for in your house? And is there room to put that in? So, for instance, I asked on Facebook and Twitter. I just put this out there to see what people would say. What would you do if you magically had a new room in your house? Just not thinking about the house you have, but like something is just magically delivered to you. So Jackie said, I would keep it empty. I would have yoga mat, chimes, meditation cushion, have it as a Zen room. Polly said, I would have a dressing room. I collect vintage clothing and have a separate room where I could hang and display my favorites. I'd have a dressing table and a chaise lounge. Um and then my bedroom would be free of piles of clothes, overworked hangers and of course the dreaded corner chair. Yes, we all have a corner chair. <laughs> Paris said she would like a classic Victorian conservatory for reading, napping and planting. And that she's reading the Happiest Project on Vacation in Copenhagen, so that was really nice to see.
0: Um, here's one I can relate to, Gretchen. Uh, w- one of your um, listeners wants a Lego room, yeah. <laughs> she says, so she doesn't have to constantly maneuver around it. I can relate.
1: Yes, you're deep into the Lego yes. phase of life right now. Jen said, a library meditation room. I need a space of my own, and that would be perfect. My husband has an office in the basement, but I don't like basements. Mm. And we've talked about that before, like having room of your own. Maybe you can't have a whole room, but can you have some room of your own? But it might be that there is a room that you could turn to a different use. And I think one of the questions for people is thinking big, like what you would do if you magically had a new room. Is there a way in your household now that you could create the use of that space? Could you have a Lego area? Could you have a Zen meditation area? Could you have a dressing room area in some way?
0: Yes. Um, Certainly it feels like a meditation area. Like one could find a space for that, like some corner that feels kind of empty, you can make into your meditation corner.
1: Have you seen a lot of houses have these? I mean, obviously, I don't have this in New York because people don't have two floors usually, but some houses have like a strange landing in the middle of their stairs. Mm-hmm. What's somebody going to yes. do with a strange landing? It's like, well, you could have that be like a little meditation area or something. Well, that's a good idea. Yeah. Now, we have a thing. So in our apartment, there's this space... It's kind of a crawl space. I can't really describe it. And the people before us used it for their suitcases, Mm. which was a good use for it. But it's actually enough room that Eleanor has turned it into a little, she calls it her nook. And she will go in there and just do her own thing. And we fixed it up very nicely. It's really cute. And again, it's like... You could just jam your suitcases in there or you could say, wow, this is actually a big enough space that it could be turned into something like meditation or reading or, you know, whatever. One person wanted an indoor swimming pool. That's a little hard to carve out of your existing space. (laughs) But like, listen, you had that clubhouse growing up. You and our next door neighbor across the street. Yeah, the cozy club, Emily and I. Yeah. So that was... What, what, that was just like a space. It was like an over, it was like a big closet off of a garage, right?
0: Yes. And uh, in our neighbor's house, and my friend Emily and I put cards all over the walls yes. and put little chairs in there. And we would spend hours in there, even if it was like 105 degrees. We would sit in our cozy club and chat and eat snacks. And I don't know what we did, but we had a great time in our clubhouse.
1: And part of it was that it was very unfinished. It was like a walk-in closet off of a garage. And you guys fixed it up in your own way and got tremendous use out of it. Yes. Which otherwise it probably would have just had some lawn furniture or like the garden hose stuck in there. Exactly. But you found a way to really have great use of it.
0: Yes. So that was an underused room that we took great advantage of. Um, And we have some pictures back from way back when of the cozy
1: club, which I love. I I will post a photo of that. I will have mom take a photo of it because she's got the photo of it in Kansas City. So I'll have her take a picture of it and then send it to me and I will post it because it's it's like you guys as like seven year olds. And then you guys as like 35 year olds sitting in the cozy club. Right. Before our neighbors moved out of that house. Yeah. 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 So, listen. what about you? Do you think there's a place... I mean, you're doing this renovation now, so that's like a time when you think about trying to make better use of your space. Your office for a long time you guys didn't use, and then you fixed it up, and and now I think you do use your office, right?
0: Yes. Yeah, especially Adam uses our office every day. Ah. Um, But yes, we absolutely are doing this in our renovation. But it's funny because it's really what I guess I'll call a room on the outside of the house. Mm, Interesting. So... Our underused area was the outdoor area. Of course, living in LA, we can be outdoors year round. And so what we're doing is, um, in the sort of backyard outside of our dining room, we're extending the roof of our house so that it'll be, you know, covered from the elements. Mm-hmm. And we're going to put furniture out there with a rug. Oh, you know, a little couch, chairs, table. Like actual furniture where we can sit outside, you know, at night, just the two of us or have friends over, whatever we want to do. And this is very common in L.A. But it sort of extends your house without extending your house.
1: Right. Because now you have this sort of additional room because it was just your yard or whatever. It was just a underdeveloped patio area.
0: Yeah, and we're going to put a heater out there also oh. so that if it's a chilly night we can still sit out
2: there.
1: Well, it's interesting because this room is very different from an inside room. Like sitting outside is very different from sitting inside even if you're in LA where it's beautiful and balmy all the time. And somebody told me when we were moving into our apartment for the first time, They gave me really good advice, which is don't try to have every room replicate every other room because we had this very dark room, Mm. which happens a lot in New York City. Having light in a room is very precious. I mean, this was a really dark room. And I was thinking, well, how do we try to make it light? And we do this and we do that. And the person said, well, you have one room that's really light because it's on the right side of the street. Maybe you just let this room be dark. Mm. And we made it dark. We painted it this dark purple brown and it's small and it's very cozy and it isn't the most inviting place to sit in the summer, I have to say, because it does feel very dark and enclosed. But in the winter, it's incredibly cozy. And I find myself gravitating to it because it feels kind of cave-like and really Mm. um, sheltered. And I think that's it was great advice because I think my impulse was to sort of try to make everything kind of the platonic ideal of a room. But then you don't enjoy one room and not another room. You know, it's good when they have a special feature somehow.
0: That is great advice. The other piece of advice, um, which I think is controversial, is if you want people to
1: use a room, put a TV in it. I have heard that, that basically when they analyze room use and houses, that rooms that have neither a TV nor a computer tend not to be used.
0: Yeah, what that says about us maybe isn't good, but it is true. I mean, the, a TV draws you yeah. in, or it draws me in anyway. Yeah, and a
1: computer the same way.
0: Although we are not putting a TV in our outside room, but Gretchen, a lot of people in L.A. do have TVs outside. We're not doing How do that. they do that?
1: What about, I mean, the weather and bugs and moisture and all that?
0: They just make sure they're covered. Um, I think maybe there are special TVs for outside. Hmm. Uh, A lot of people want to be able to watch either movies or sporting events outside. Ah, Interesting.
1: Well, you know, back in episode 72, we talked about, and I mentioned it a second ago, about this this idea of room of one's own, that we all need room of our own, even if it's just one little desk in the corner of the dining room or, you know, one corner of the basement, someplace where you can put your stuff and nobody will mess with it. And you have kind of an expectation that no one is going to use it. And it's just sort of for you. And that's episode 72. And I think that when talking to people about clutter, a lot of times rooms or areas become cluttered because you need a place to put all the things that you can't be bothered Mm. to figure out what to do with it. And then you can't use the space because it's full of clutter. But you could have a much more fun use of the room, whether you're going to put a pinball machine in it or a yoga mat or, or your arts and crafts or whatever, or like a excellent reading sofa. Or even like a closet or a drawer, you know? And so again, this is a way to think about if I cleared out clutter, if I got rid of the stuff that I don't use, that I don't love, that I don't want, could I transform this space? Like a friend of mine is super, super crafty and she has this really very small closet off of a family room. And she turned it into this cockpit of creativity. It's like got all of her supplies in there. Mm -hmm. Um, I think including a full blown sewing machine um, but it's just an ordinary closet off of a family room. But she realized, you know, it's not going to be used that much as just a closet. What are we going to do? Put in there like copies of Monopoly and shoots and ladders or, you know, or puzzles. Right. Take them out, find another place for that stuff. And then she really found this very valuable use for it.
0: So she has a craft room. Yes. It's a, a closet. But to her, it's a craft room. Uh, she
1: can actually sit in there with the door shut. Yeah. So it's a room.
0: Yeah, I think closets could really be refuges for people. Yes, And I think if you don't have an area that's obviously an underused room, if you look at your closets, you might find one that with a little shifting around the stuff in that closet could be put in another closet. And you could turn that into a little meditation
1: room or reading nook or a playroom or you know something really useful or like a little tiny office because now they make all this very miniature furniture little tiny desks or just things that shove right up against the wall and a chair that's very small you don't need that much room Elizabeth. i'm remembering the closet off of that room you have which has your treadmill in it at home and that a, was a big closet and you and I cleaned it out. And, and once we got rid of the stuff that was just trash, there was almost nothing in there. You could definitely have if you didn't have an office, you could definitely make that into an office. I mean, you couldn't do much in there. Right. But you could sit and work on a laptop. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm I'm curious to see what people have. And again, I want to emphasize, we recognize this is a privilege. This is fortunate. A lot of people do not have this kind of space, especially in New York City. Believe me, I know people where every single square inch is used. <laughs> but it's striking how often people do say that they have off their, you know, in their basement, off their garage, someplace, you know, an attic space that's usable. And the larger point is a lot of times we do have kind of low-hanging fruit in your life. And you think, well, if I had a fantasy new room, I would have this wonderful meditation space. But maybe you could just do it in that closet. You know, you don't need to move. You don't need to yearn for something. You can look for a way to get it right now um, with a little bit of ingenuity and looking at your space.
0: Yeah, I want um, Gretchen people to Instagram us pictures of what they do with their
1: underused
0: rooms and tag us i'm at liz craft on instagram
1: and i'm at gretchen rubin yes that will be so fun and i will post a picture of eleanor's nook and i will post the photos of the cozy corner which was at our neighbor's house that was a room that you had in a neighbor's house but you got just as much use out of it (laughs) (laughs) so let us know if you did this instagram us or let us know on twitter facebook Email us at podcast at GretchenMovement.com, or as always, you can go to the show notes for this episode, which is 126. That means you would go to happiercast.com slash 126 for everything related to this episode. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. And, you know, Elizabeth, I now work with a team
0: Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash Gretchen for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Gretchen to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash Gretchen.
1: So, listen, we got an interesting happiness hack from Corinne.
0: Yes, she says... I can promise myself that I will walk three times around a one-mile loop, but after the first or second, I will inevitably have convinced myself that I've done enough and can call it a day. So now, in my weekday walks, I go to a lake that is 2.7 miles around. There's no way to quit in the middle. Then she says, Uber? (laughs) So once I'm in, I'm in.
1: Now see this is brilliant. This reminds me of so many of the strategies from Better Than Before. So there's 21 strategies that I talk about. And what she's talking about is the strategy of inconvenience. She has made it super inconvenient for herself not to keep the full habit. She's also using the strategy of safeguards because she's saying to herself, "Hey, If I think about myself and what's true for me, I know that once I've gone around once or twice, I'm going to let myself off the hook if I'm doing the one mile loop. I just know that I can predict Mm. that I am going to do that. So therefore, let me build in a safeguard. Let me set it up so that I don't do it. And she's using the strategy of convenience, which is going around one time. And it's really hilarious. I've always wanted to look up more research about this, but they talk about something called the natural unit of one in the research.
0: Yeah. What is the natural unit of one?
1: Well, so apparently like people think in units of one, which sounds so obvious. You're like, well, what does that even mean? But let's say it's a food serving. Um, they did this hilarious study where they had an apartment building and they had those like giant puffy pretzels, you know, mm-hmm, yeah. and they had them out just like to help yourself. And they would look and people would take one pretzel. And then they did it where they would divide the pretzels into half and they would say, please help yourself. And people would take one half. Mm. And they did the same thing with M&Ms. When there was like a big spoon, people took one big spoon. And when there was a smaller spoon, people took one smaller spoon. And this is like the thing about, you know, how people get so irritated with potato chips that are in a bag, but it's like two and a half servings. And you're like, no, it's a bag of chips. I'm going to eat a bag of chips. That's because we have this natural unit of one in our heads. And so what she's saying is to go around three times, you're like, oh my gosh, you feel so put upon. Oh, I'm going around three times. But if you're just going around once, it feels like well, I'm only going around one time. It feels natural to do a unit right. of one. And so what she did is she just, instead of having the little spoon of m she has the big spoon of m ms But in this case, she's doing it the right way, which is she's exercising more. Right. Which I thought was brilliant.
0: Yes, that is a great hack, especially if you have something, you know, conven- a convenient way to yes. Have this unit of one, like she has the lake, so that's an easy way to judge.
1: Well, another um, way to do this, if you don't have something like a conveniently located lake that's exactly the right (laughs) distance around, is I did this when I lived in San Francisco a long time ago to kind of force myself to go on a daily walk. This is when I was still eating (laughs) bagels, and so a long time ago. This is a long time ago, right after college. Um, I would walk to this one bagel store to get my morning bagel and then walk home. And it was like, well, if I cut it short, I didn't get the bagel. Ah. And I think sometimes when you have sort of a destination, maybe you're going to buy the newspaper. Maybe you're going to get a cup of coffee at your favorite place. Or maybe you're just going to see something beautiful. Like in Central Park, I love looking at Bethesda Fountain. So sometimes I'm just I'll look at Bethesda Fountain and come back. It just gives you a feeling of destination or of somehow purposefulness. And I think for some people, especially when they feel like, oh, I'm just exercising for the sake of exercising, that feels sort of pointless to to them or it feels sort of annoying whereas if you're going like oh I'm going to go get my morning newspaper or I'm going to go I'm, I'm going to go drop it off at this one mailbox even though there's a mailbox right really close to my house it just feels more purposeful and just like walking around the lake you're like I'm just going to walk around the lake it feels like sort of a thing to do
0: Yes. I mean, that's definitely true for hiking. Like if you want to take a six-mile hike, you don't say, let me do a three-mile hike twice. You look for a six-mile hike. Yes. Not that I do that, but many people do.
1: <laughs> yeah. Or like getting to the top. It's like you just you want to feel like I got to the top. Even if you got close to the top, you wouldn't feel the same satisfaction of sort of I completed something. So, Corinne, I thought that was an excellent – sort of one of these subtle things. It's a great example of how sometimes just a little tweak – can make a habit much easier to keep because you just sort of thought through what maybe was getting in your way. So thank you for that hack.
0: Yes. Okay, Gretchen, it is time for a happiness stumbling block. And this week we're discussing something that I think many of our listeners will relate to, which is perfectionism.
1: Yes. I mean, how often... Do we hear people talking about the stumbling block of perfectionism?
0: I mean, I think of you as a perfectionist. So I don't know that you think of it as a happiness stumbling block, but I do definitely think of you as a perfectionist.
1: Well, you know, that's that's interesting because I think in a lot of cases when people are talking about perfectionism as a stumbling block, what they're really talking about is anxiety. So perfectionism isn't really about standards, like having a certain standard. It's more about feeling anxiety about a standard. And I think it's helpful to sort of split those things apart because sometimes people feel like, well, if I gave up my perfectionism, then I would be mediocre. And it's like, no, you could keep your standards very high. What you want to do is take away a lot of the anxiety that you're feeling around those standards and the and the idea that you're going to meet or fail to meet those standards.
0: That's interesting. You know, I definitely think of myself as a person who has anxiety, but I am not a perfectionist. So I don't know what the kind of distinctions are, but it's really interesting.
1: But it's interesting that you said that you're not a perfectionist because in what sense are you? would you say you are not a perfectionist? Like you don't get, you're anxious about many things, but not about like meeting standards. I mean, because you will work You'll work incredibly hard to make something as good as you possibly can make it, which to me is like that is kind of like what a lot of people mean about perfectionism.
0: True. I guess what I mean is, um, but in like my house, you know, (laughs) having it be neat. I'm not a perfectionist wearing sweats to work, you know, just putting my hair back in a casual ponytail I I feel like in many areas, I am not a perfectionist. And even if we're writing, I think Sarah is much more likely to want to rewrite something than I am. I think I'm like, eh, good enough. And I'm glad I have her to keep pushing.
1: But maybe it's good that there's a a balance of both of you, because one of you wants to say, well, good enough is good enough. And one of you wants to say, like, can we make it better? It's probably good that you're kind of one of each, because then you balance each other. Because it seems to me like with perfectionism, two ways that it can come up I mean, you've pointed out one way. One is the kind where you don't start. Mm. You don't do something at all because you think, well, I can't do it well. So if I can't do it perfectly, I'm not even going to start. So if I can't do this thing perfectly, like when I started my blog, I remember thinking like, this isn't going to be very good, but it doesn't matter because no one will see it. So it doesn't matter if it's good or not. Hmm. But that was a good thought to have because it got me started. If i had been, I think sometimes with something like starting a blog, people get so worried about having everything perfect that they become overwhelmed and then they just don't even start. So that's one kind of perfectionism or yes. one, one problem related to perfectionism.
0: Yes. I mean, I will say I might I probably suffer this anxiety without even thinking about it when you think about throwing a party like not wanting to have a party because you'd want the party to be perfect and you don't know how to execute a perfect party.
1: Yeah. Well, listen, you remember that when I, um, because I suffer from the same party throwing uh, anxiety that you do, that at one point I was like, I just mm-hmm. need to make this easy and just, you know, embrace that. And so I got paper plates. Um, they're very fancy paper plates mm-hmm. that mom clued me into, like they're <laughs> fancy Japanese plates, but they are paper plates. And I would order in and it's just like, it's better to have the Take in dinner on the paper plates with your friends, than it is not to have anything at all. And note they are paper; uh, they're biodegradable. They're not plastic plates. They are these very elegant pressed paper plates, and so and that worked really well because it just was like I'm just going to embrace my level.
0: Yeah, I think that's what I should do to fight the party perfectionism. Impulse impulse is, is uh, entertained in that way when our renovation is done. So I'll follow you on that front and we'll see how that goes.
1: But it's also like related to this idea of perfectionism. It's sometimes you can like pick your battle. So for instance, some things are more high demand than others. So you might say like when we entertain, we're going to have people over for brunch, not dinner. Or when we have people over, mm. we're going to have them for like a cookout, not a seated dinner, because the standards are different. And if you're feeling anxious about standards which is the perfectionism thing, if you have something where it feels easier to do it well, Mm. then you might feel less anxious about it and feel like, yeah, I could have a bunch of people over for brunch. That could be cool. Yeah. So um, not something like, uh, like I imagine in LA, it's like people have these super fabulous, like Academy Award watching parties. And you're like, okay, I don't want to be somebody's super fabulous or like their New Year's Eve party. That's high stakes. Brunch is not high stakes. (laughs) Right. That is very true. So that's one kind of perfectionism. And then the other kind is where you can't finish. And this is where, like, like I would say in my life, where I just edit, 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 edit. And I have to say to myself, like at a certain point, mm. you have to stop editing and hand something in or say like, I'm not going to take it any further because some people just want to keep working and working and working and then they can't finish it. So, you know, you might think like, well, it's important for you to have Sarah there to keep you polishing and making something better. But see, Sarah might need you to be like, you know what? Like, let's just hand it in already. It's time to move on. We, we can't just keep polishing, polishing, polishing this thing because that's its own problem. Yes. Um, and so I've been really thinking a lot about perfectionism myself um, related to my website, because as I mentioned, I'm redoing my website, mm. which is this huge thing because I have a lot of stuff on my website and I'm making some pretty dramatic changes and I'm working with a great team. And I've worked with these folks before, and I consciously decided this time that I was going to defer to them more. And that in the past, I spent a lot of time and energy fussing about issues that I realized, actually, they have great judgment. They have great taste. We've worked together before, so we understand each other. If they're saying this should be this font at this size... I don't need to rethink every decision that they've made and that I should preserve my time and energy for things that only I can do. And so to really try to fight my urge to like control every little detail and just look at the big picture and the overall effect, if I can look at this overall effect and it looks great, I don't need to like spend a lot of time driving myself crazy analyzing every single detail.
0: Right. Let them worry about that perfectionism.
1: Yes. And I remind myself, you know, sometimes there's no right choice or wrong choice. There's many right choices. Mm -hmm. So I don't it doesn't need a tremendous amount of analysis because there are many right choices.
0: Yeah. I mean, and it goes to Gretchen. Some people are such perfectionists. They don't delegate. And if you don't delegate, then. You can't spend the energy on the things you should be spending energy on. Um, And if you're just micromanaging every little detail, eventually the thing is going to come crashing down around you.
1: Yeah, I heard this great story on that. Nixon was writing about um, when he was vice president for Eisenhower. And Eisenhower said to him, part of the secret of being a good executive is signing a letter that someone else wrote for you that you know you could write better yourself. And signing uh-huh, it anyway because uh-huh. you're president and you got to, like, move on. You can't, like, be write- rewriting every letter that goes out for your signature. Wow. Well, Another thing um, that perfectionism always kind of reminds me of is this distinction between satisficers and maximizers. Wait, is
0: satisficers an actual word? <laughs> yes.
1: Satisficers is an actual word. Um, and what it, what it means is, like, if you're trying to make a decision or take action— Satisficers are people who they have a certain standard and once their standards are met, they will act. So if they're looking for a pasta sauce, once they find the pasta sauce that meets their their standards, they will act. If they're trying to buy a bike, once they find a bike that meets their standards, they're satisfied and they will move on. And it doesn't mean that their standards are low. Their standards can be very high, but it means once their standards are met, they're like, okay, this is good enough because my standards have been met. I don't Mm. need to look further. Maximizers wanna have like the maximum payoff. So even if they see a bicycle that meets their requirements, they can't decide until they sort of considered every possible option. Now, you can imagine that evaluating every possible option is a much bigger task than just meeting a standard. And so it's a lot more work to be a maximizer.
0: And so that's sort of like perfectionism and decision making. Yes. Which questioners probably also can run into.
1: Yes, because they also, they're like, is there a better decision? Is there a more efficient way to do this? Um, Is there a better approach? Yes, they can get hung up on this too, wanting to have more and more and more information. Now, sometimes people are a mix of both. But if you find in a particular circumstance that you're sort of getting hung up on searching, 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 you can remind yourself, I don't have to look at every option. I just have to make sure that my standards are met. And it's worth remembering that research shows that Maximizers not only do they spend a lot more time and energy making decisions, which is a cost, they also tend to be more anxious about their decisions. They have more regret about their decisions, even though they've done more research. Satisficers are more satisfied with their decisions mm. than maximizers, so you want to keep that in mind.
0: Yeah, Gretchen. I mean, this makes me think of uh, one of my favorite things that you say, which is, "Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good."
1: Yes. Yes. So there are all these mantras that I have found over the years, the anti-perfectionism mantras. So that's one of the best ones. That's actually from Voltaire, but I do quote it all the time. Here's some others. Don't get it perfect. Get it going. That's Mm. a good one. There's no wrong answer here. I, I remind myself of that if I'm, again, like getting hung up on making a decision. One of my favorites is I remind myself, don't spend my time rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic, Mm -hmm. which is a phrase that I heard fairly recently where it's like, don't spend your time doing things that are kind of pointless or insignificant where something really major is going to overtake them. Right? You've got a big problem. Rearranging the deck chairs, that is not going to solve your problem if you were on the Titanic. That is not a good use of your time and energy. And another thing is to enjoy the fun of failure. This is one of my secrets of adulthood that just acknowledge that sometimes you are going to fail. And that's part of succeeding. That's part of life. And not to pretend like everything has to be a big success. Some things will fail. Some things won't work. Sometimes you'll make a mistake. And that's just that's just part of the fun.
0: Yeah. It goes to your whole thing of starting your blog. If you had waited for your blog to be absolute perfection, you may never have started it. Right. And right. in that case, it didn't fail. You ended up having a very successful blog. But you wouldn't know that if you didn't try.
1: Well, and Elizabeth, with this podcast, I remember saying to you, this could be a big failure. Right. A big public failure. Like, are you up for that? And you're like, I'm totally up for that. Let's give it a shot. Yeah. You know? And it was like we were yeah. reassuring to, to ourselves.
0: Yeah, Gretch. I bet um, some of our listeners have their own anti-perfectionism mantras. <laughs> so everybody send us those. Yes. I would love to hear them.
1: Yeah. And I'll post a whole list because uh, I do think they're helpful. Let us know what you do when you, you feel perfectionism creeping over you. Okay, Elizabeth, it's demerits and gold stars, and I think our demerits and gold stars this week are related to each other. Yes. So what is the demerit that you are giving yourself?
0: I am giving myself a demerit, Gretchen, for never rating or reviewing podcasts that I love. So, you know, on our podcast, we're always asking listeners, (laughs) please rate and review us. And on Happier in Hollywood, Sarah and I are always asking our listeners, please rate and review us. But the truth is, I don't rate and review anyone else. You know, I have these podcasts I love, like yeah. Bitch Sesh <laughs> yeah. um, and The Other F Word, and I don't review because I can't figure out how to do it. I'll go with the intention of doing it, and then it seems um you know, just sort of impossible to figure out, and then I just go, ah, eh, forget it. So... Kristen said that she would walk us through it so that I can now do this. Yes,
1: Kristen, we're all gonna we're gonna pull out our phones and you're gonna talk us through. I am gonna rate I have not rated and reviewed Happy Inner Hollywood. I'm gonna write you a review right now. Okay. No, okay. Yeah. You. And
2: guys, yes. don't forget to rate and review by, by the, the book, book. Also, oh my While gosh. I'm going to do that.
1: <laughs> yes. Oh my that's <laughs> gosh. That's
2: one. Yes, you, Kristen, that's one that I
0: went to rate and review by the book, and I couldn't figure out how to do it. But,
1: <laughs> and if you're having trouble remembering how to rate and review, you can listen to a very recent episode of By the Book and learn about how to improve your memory. But um, <laughs> we digress. Okay. So, Kristen, yes. Buy the book, Radical Candor, Side Hustle School, Happier, all the any great podcasts that you love. How do we do it?
2: All right. So full disclosure, I don't really know the world of Android phones, okay. but I can speak to the iPhone. And I'm saying this also as a tech dummy. So the fact that I can do this okay. means that anybody <laughs> can do this. Okay. Anybody can do this. Up until a few months ago, I used... Two tin cans and a string to talk to people, okay. and yet I can do this, <laughs> okay. so anybody else can. Okay. So go onto your iPhone, yeah. open it up, and look for, you know, there's all those little square app buttons, the ones that say, like, clock or message or camera, yeah. settings. There's a purple one that says podcasts. The purple icon, it looks kind of like a microphone with two halos around it. Or it might even look like the letter I, the lowercase letter I with two halos around it. Do you see that? I thought it was supposed to be like a little person with sound waves coming out of their head. Oh, that makes sense, too. Okay, I've (laughs) never known what what that is. All right. So there's a little purple icon. That's the podcast app that's built into every single iPhone out there. And I think it's also on an iPad. So click on that purple square that says Podcasts with the halos coming out of it or the sound waves or what have you. Once you open it up on the lower right-hand bar, go on the lowest section of the page, there's a little magnifying glass that says search with it. Now click on that search one. It doesn't matter if you subscribe to the podcast or not. You have to go into this little search thing on the lower right-hand corner, the little magnifying glass. And then at the top of the page, it will say search. Now type in the title of whatever you want to rate or review. It could be Happier. It could be Happier in Hollywood. It could be by the Book. Type that into uh, the top there.
1: I'm typing in, in
2: by the Book. Okay. Yay. And then once you type that in, you'll have a choice of podcasts. First, it'll show you podcast episodes. Then it will show you actual podcasts below the episodes. Yeah. Click on the podcast that you see. So you just typed in by the Book, Liz. Now, mm-hmm. Touch the icon that says podcast and directly below podcast, it says buy the book. Mm-hmm. See that? Yeah. Not podcast episodes, yep. podcast. Click on yep. that. And then you have the choice to click review. There's details, reviews, or related. You can choose reviews. Uh, and then okay. from there, write a review. So I hope anyone who's listening has their iPhone out while they're doing this because that'll make it easier. But it's really only about four very quick steps. If you're just touching your screen, type in the title, click review, and then there you go. You can review it. Okay, so
1: I'm so embarrassed because I don't do this either. I didn't know how to do it. And I totally know how to do that. But I never noticed that it said write a review right there, which it says in like giant letters. And I just never noticed it because I've always was looking to read the reviews that are below it. I didn't realize that's also where you wrote the review.
2: Yep, big purple letters, write a review. Does that all make sense, Liz? It does. And I'm, I just
0: gave you five stars and I'm about to write my review. Um, oh, thanks. The key I think to this is that what you said at the beginning, which is. Even if you subscribe to the podcast, you have to search for it. If you're in your own subscribed podcast, yes. I feel like you can't do this.
2: Yeah. And I don't know why that is. Maybe there's a workaround with that um, that I don't know or I, I'm not sure. But this is the way I rate and review other people's podcasts. And when it says title... You can just put in a headline saying, this show's awesome, or I learn so much every week from this. Oh, I see. You can it's, put it's anything a, like that. Yep. Okay. So if you don't say your name, does it have a name? You should just put in some sort of name. Okay. If you want to be anonymous and not put in Gretchen Rubin, you can put in something else like Barnaby's mom, yeah. something like that. Yep. I'm writing you one right now. Oh, you guys are you guys are the best. You're great. Thanks.
1: But this is great. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's not that hard. I mean, it sounded like it was going to be...
2: Um, yes. Nope. I mean, when you push on the icons and when you type in your review, it should take you in total less than two minutes probably. Right. 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 And I bet for Android, it's
1: pretty much the same because a lot of times it's like if you know how to do it on one, you know how right. to do it on the other. It's just like the, maybe it's slightly different terminology or iconography, but it's like it's, it kind of it has the same so it sort of gets you in there in the same way. So, Kristen, thank you so much for doing that. Thank you guys. Thanks for the ratings and reviews. We appreciate it. Yes. Um, And so, Elizabeth, so for my gold star, I wanted to say gold star to everyone who has already rated and reviewed us because they did it, they figured out how to do it on their own. Yes. Thanks
0: guys. Yes, it
1: really is a big help. Um, we so appreciate it. And I'm so excited. I'm now going to go rate and review everybody's podcasts that I love, which there are yeah. a <laughs> lot. This is a good way. If you want to make yourself feel like you're doing a little good deed. I feel like this is the kind of thing. Sometimes I just need a little lift. I need to be like, if I just did a little nice thing for somebody, it'd make me feel good. Mm-hmm. And that would give me a little boost like, you know, do good, feel good. And this is like an easy way, you know, for somebody who you think, oh, their, their podcast's great. It's just like a nice little... Yes, people, as we know, really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Look for an underused area of your home. Let us know if you tried it, if you found one, what you did with it, and please send us a photo or post it on Instagram. We would love to see what you're doing with your underused areas. Thank you to our
0: producer, Kristen Meinzer. And Kristen, thank you for those instructions on how to review podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Also, thanks to Andy Bowers of Panoply. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcasts at GretchenRubin.com.
1: And as we always say, if you like the show, be sure to tell a friend and uh, rate or review us. Now you know how to rate and review. Um, And the resources for this week is I wanted to remind you, speaking of podcast listening, about the Onward Project. This is the family of podcasts that are all about how to make your life better. So one is, of course, Happier in Hollywood, Elizabeth's podcast with Sarah Fain, which is fantastic. Also, Chris Guillebeau's Side Hustle School which is terrific if you want to think about starting your own side hustle. Radical Candor, which is all about sort of workplace issues, how to be happier in the workplace. So check those all out. And I have to say, a listener wrote in about how much she enjoyed them, but she called it the Inward Project. (laughs) And I love that. I'm like, it's the Onward Project, and it's the Inward Project. I thought that was brilliant. Yes. And I also wanted to remind everybody I'm gearing up for my book tour. I'm going to see Elizabeth in Los Angeles before too long. So I will post links to where I'm going to be. I would love to see you there. And also you can pre-order the book and request a sample chapter if you want, because it's coming out very soon. I can't wait. I've pre-ordered mine. I know. You're such a good sister. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and inward and upward.